One, two, three. Okay, I'm recording now. One, two, three, clap. Sorry. I didn't understand what was happening there. Let's do that again. Okay, on three. One, two, three. See, I thought you were going to do one, two, three, clap like you did last time. Like I said, on three. Okay, all right, on three this time. Okay, one, two... Damn, Cynthia, where'd you find this daughter? Hello, and welcome to Spall Talk, the only podcast where two siblings talk about the life and career of British character actor Timothy Spall. I'm Neil Jacoby, here with my brother Eric Jacoby. What's up? And today, we've got a spooky episode for you today. Ooh. That's right, we're celebrating the most frightening holiday of all, the midterm elections. Nothing is spookier than voter suppression. Am I right? You are right. And we're also talking about secrets and lies. But enough about the politics. This is a 1996 film by Mike Lee, who we've covered before, twice in fact. One for uh, Mr. Turner, and one for Life is Sweet, which Eric covered with uh, Brooke Forrest. I don't believe I was able to give my thoughts on the movie since, you know, I wasn't there. But it's really good. It's a good movie. Uh, Didn't Mike Lee also do... um... Do the right thing? No, I was gonna not make a joke. <laughs> Topsy Turvy, wasn't that also him? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That that is also him. I was gonna say he really seems like one of the only people that um really considers Timothy Spall a serious actor. I basically like Timothy Spall is a regular with him in a way he really isn't with anybody else. For sure. Yeah, and like given the the process that Mike Lee does, it it speaks a lot to Timothy Spall's strengths. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I don't know what process he does, so I'll take you word for it. Oh, uh, this movie and a lot of his other movies are heavily improvised. So, like, for example, this film was nominated for Best spring, uh, Screenplay, but most of the actors actually improvised their dialogue, so I, I guess that speaks to how good an Damn. improviser Timothy Spall et al. are. Yeah, that surprised me, because um, unlike other highly improvised movies, like, um, you know, every comedy that came out in the last five years, uh, this movie <laughs> is good and doesn't suck. <laughs> Timothy Spall for the new Ghostbusters movie. Uh, but anyway, how are, Eric, would you like to try to summarize this film within one minute? Okay, um, I'll take a crack at it. I feel like this one I might be able to do. Because, um, like other Mike Lee movies, it's not especially plot-heavy, um, but unlike, say, Life is Sweet, there's, there's, like, a plot. It's not just, like, a slice of life. Yeah. So I'm ready to go. And, and, uh, before you go, I would like to say to our listeners, there will probably be spoilers for some, uh, pretty heavy late-game, uh, revelations. So if you'd like to take advantage of the next month that Filmstruck will be alive to try to watch this movie, I would recommend you do that. Um, It looks like Filmstruck is going to be alive in a form in that it's now going to be an Amazon service to get all those movies. Or at least that's what it tells me every time I try to log into your Filmstruck. (laughs) Uh, All right. Go ahead and give me a shot shot clock. This one I think I probably can. All right. Three, two... One, go. Uh, This film is a story of Hortense. Uh, I will say I don't remember the last name of any character in this movie. Um, 
Hortense is a uh, is a black woman who has who was adopted. Uh, she goes to the adoption agency to try to find out who her birth mother is. Uh, she finds out that her birth mother, a white woman, is uh, is named Cynthia. Uh, she also has a last name, which I don't remember. Um, Cynthia is part of a highly dysfunctional family. Um, it's kind of an ensemble cast with Cynthia's daughter. Um, spot me on this one. Roxanne. Roxanne. Uh, Cynthia's brother, Maurice, uh, played by Timothy Spall. Um, Maurice's wife, uh, also starts with an M. Um, Monica. Monica. And, uh, they all sort of don't really, they all have problems which are explained later on in the movie. Um, Hortense meets up with Cynthia. Really? A minute is way shorter than I think it is. Uh, Cynthia meets up with, uh, Hortense, finally. It doesn't go well at first, but eventually they get along. Um, there's a lot of shots of that. And then at the end, she introduces Hortense to the family under the pretext that she's a friend from work. Um, and then uh, explains and sort of lets everybody know that Hortense is actually her daughter, uh, which does not go over well. Um, and then they all sort of tell each other secrets, and then it's they all are a happy family. Yeah, yeah. As the saying goes... Uh, every happy family is the same, uh, but you laugh at the unhappy families because they're different. <laughs> <laughs> All happy families laugh at me because I'm different. <laughs> I don't know if it's all that funny. See, right now, Neil's laughing at the joke because it's different, and yet at the same time. Is this the only joke that you've heard since the last time we recorded? No, no, it, I don't know, it's just the fact that I messed up so badly and went to a completely different thing. Tune in for these hot, uh, hot topic Anna Karenina crossover jokes <laughs> ubu tolstoy anyway let's move on <laughs> good lord to our spalling moments and spall wonders okay. eric would you like to go first i will go first but if you laugh again at this we're canceling this part okay solid um my first okay my spall wonder um there was a lot about this movie that i really enjoyed uh but Timothy Spall's character was a particular high point. His name is uh, Maurice. He runs a, um, what is it? He's a photographer. And there are a lot, early on in the movie, there's a lot of uh, interstitial bits where he is taking photographs of people. Uh, in one of these, uh, a lot of the early ones are him trying to get people to smile. And it's a very heartwarming thing. This is one, this dour-faced woman is, is getting her picture taken. And he makes some sort of joke just to get her to have this brief laugh. She only smiles for like a half second, but like he's able to get the shot in there. Um, and it was very, it was very sweet. Uh, he plays a very sweet character. Um, and it was just, people use the phrase wholesome a lot. And I, I really think that's sort of what this was. Okay. Uh, I will go to my spalling moment to sort of get this compliment sandwich. And uh, my spalling moment is Paul. Paul is Roxanne's boyfriend, and that is about it. He 
he sort of stands around a lot, especially in, like, the big final scene. And so while all these dramatic revelations are going on, you see him just sort of standing in the background, sort of wincing, like, ooh, ooh, that ain't it, Chief. Ooh, I, ooh. And that, that's basically all he does. I will... I, in a cast with so many, like, really great mm-hmm. performances... Like, uh, both Cynthia and uh, Hortense, the, the actresses who played them, were nominated for Academy Awards that year. Like, that that's powerful. And he is just nowhere in this scene. He is nothing. I will expand on that scene a bit. It's um, Roxanne's 21st birthday. And uh, so there's there's Hortense, there's um, Timothy Small's character and his wife. There's Cynthia and Roxanne. And then Roxanne brings her boyfriend. Um, Timothy Small brings his assistant jane and um cynthia of course brings hortense and i did i, I do want to mention i thought during that whole scene where they're sort of arguing with that with each other for a little bit they're spilling secrets it's very emotionally like tense and i just kept thinking like imagine going to an event with your boss's family you don't know these people at all <laughs> and then suddenly everybody's crying and talking about how they can't have children and talking about the children they put up for adoption and yelling at each other. What an awkward, uncomfortable situation. Like, I was thinking, yeah. if you framed the scene differently, like, if this was a movie from Jane's perspective, <laughs> that would be a very funny scene. Like, it would be like, um, like the episode of The American Office where they go for a dinner party at Michael's house, or, uh, like, any scene from The British Office. <laughs> yeah yeah that that checks out and uh your spalling moment my spalling moment uh was difficult to pinpoint because there's not much or really anything in this movie that i uh thought was bad or poorly done um but the first in the first scene where cynthia and hortense meet um Cynth- cynthia cries a lot in this movie a lot of it comes in that first scene. Um, she's apologizing to Hortense about about everything, and Hortense is being like, oh, it's really fine. And Cynthia feels very inadequate for a lot of obvious reasons because uh, Hortense is very successful. She's an optometrist, and uh, Cynthia works at a cardboard box factory. Um, fun fact, fun fact. I went to the eye doctor the day I saw this movie, and I also opened a cardboard box. <laughs> Hashtag coincidences. <laughs> Hashtag mistakes into miracles. <laughs> um, yes, of course, feels very inadequate, and so she keeps apologizing and crying. And Hortense sort of stone face has to keep telling her that it's okay. And it wasn't a bad scene so much as it was uh, kind of difficult to watch. I just thought of like a legitimate a spalling moment. Every outfit Timothy Spall wears. Yeah, there's there's one scene in particular where he goes to the uh, to the bus stop where Roxanne has fled in anger after finding out about this half sister. Um, and then as he walks back, you get like the full shot of his outfit, and it's just this short sleeve button up shirt that is way too large for him, and like cargo shorts and sandals. It, Not it's a good like uh, Ke- it's like Kevin Smith uh, dressing up nice for a business yeah, meeting. <laughs> business casual Kevin Smith. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> I. Th- this is not an oversized hockey jersey kind of day. This is an oversized button-up kind of day. <laughs> I 
Throughout this entire movie, Timothy Spall looks like the well-dressed guy at a Magic the Gathering tournament. <laughs> like, like it's good that he's wearing a shirt that does not have Goku on it, but other than that, other than that, oof. Um, oof. So yeah. And What's your... that haircut. Yeah, he sort of, if you Google uh, the Democrat who just failed to be Ohio's governor, Rich Cordray... <laughs> He has the exact same hair as Rich Corbin. <laughs> hashtag topical, hashtag midterms, hashtag spooky. All right. And uh, my small wonder is another one of these photography scenes. Uh, this one a bit less cheery. Uh, he is having a conversation with this woman with a, a facial scar who is, you know, she's being very guarded for, you know, obvious reasons and self-conscious. And he's just sort of like drawing the story out of her while he also tries to take pictures of her. And it's, it's this sort of like kind of combative, but at the same time, not necessarily, it's that sort of like combative where like you're not really wanting to talk to someone, but you kind of have to, and they're trying to get you to smile or like, move your head a certain way. It, it's like if you had to tell an embarrassing story to the class photographer during your session. <laughs> and, like, that scene combined with the scene right after it where uh, Maurice's old friend Stuart comes in and has, like, a bit of an argument with him. Stuart is, you know, very down and out, and he's pretty obviously looking for a job. It, like, the that pair of awkward situations that don't really have much to do with the overall plot, but are really interesting bits of character observation on their own. That's where this movie really shined for me. There's a lot of scenes in this that are great uh, Timothy Small character studies, in my opinion. Yeah. All right. See, so now we're out of our... Uh, what's difficult... You go ahead. What's difficult about talking about a movie like this is that it was very good, and we liked it. And generally, <laughs> it's super easy for us to talk for ages about movies we thought were terrible um you'll notice that like the better the movie is generally the less we have to say about it and the less <laughs> fun the episode is okay so like but we can obviously talk about the performances but before we go into that since we are on a bit of a time crunch here we're recording in the morning a, a rarity for us mm -hmm. and eric has to get to class at 11 yeah i'm gonna get right into the trivia hit me with that first good off, triv Marion Jean-Baptiste, who played Hortense, and Brenda Blethlin, who played uh, Cynthia. By the way, Brenda Blethlin, that looks that sounds like the uh, the English version of Democrat name. <laughs> or, or like one of those Teacot names. I'm Brenda Blethlin, and I'm posting on Mumsnet about the trans menace. There's this um, thing that I was going to do for Funcast tonight, and I'm not sure if I will or won't. It depends on how much time I have to prep. But uh, I was inspired by the um, Republican candidate for Arizona senator, Martha McSally, uh, where I was going to go through people who ran uh, in the midterms, and I was going to present like three names in a row, and it would be two truths and a lie, where two were real and one of them I made up. Um, but the name you just said would be an excellent contender for that sort of thing. What was that name from, um, who was it? Uh, the... I, I can't remember the name of like the the person who got fired for from the from the DNC for I don't know giving debate questions uh, to Hillary or something. Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Although I believe it was no, Donna no, Brazil. No, the other one. 
Donna Brazil, yeah. Her book and, like, all the weird names in there, but, like, there was one in particular, like, Martha Minion or something like that. Dang. Yeah, yeah, that that name in particular seems like a, seems like a prime candidate of, of the kind of name that Brenda Blethlin reminds me of. Sorry, I was way away from but the yeah. mic on that last comic, because I was plugging in my laptop. A little glimpse behind the scenes and... But yeah, uh, those two actresses never met before the scene in which they meet in the film. Really? So those reactions in that seven-minute take, those are uh, amplified by the fact that, that that's when they're meeting for the first time. It's pretty good. Okay, and the second of two bits of trivia. Can you, can you phrase Lee this and... trivia as like a trivia question? Because I miss being in quiz ball in high school. <laughs> oh, don't you worry. I've got some questions for you later. Yes! But, uh... Mike Lee and Brenda Blethlin were both born on February 20th. Mike is exactly three years older than her. And for some reason, people found that interesting on IMDb. That's fair. I, I don't know what Mike Lee looks like or how old he is, so that's kind of meaningless to me. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the third bit of trivia, members of the Heaven's Gate cult went to see this movie oh shortly before their mass suicide. Oh my god. Yeah! Like, like just a few of them, or was it, like, a big thing? There was no other detail <laughs> provided on IMDb, so I... <laughs> well, I know what we're doing so I'm going this. to assume... So I'm going to assume it was, like, a, a class trip for the cult. Ball town. <laughs> Come on, everybody, pile into the... Pile into the bus with your matching New Balance. We're going to go see an art house film. What a weird movie for a cult to go I guess that's what they mean by cult class. All right, hey, waka waka. <laughs> a suicide cult classic. <laughs> Whew. Oh, okay. Let's talk about some performances, and then we'll get into the big trivia game I've got. Uh, so Timothy Spall, uh -huh. he's really good, isn't he? Oh, he sure is. I I can't say, like, in the history of this podcast, I've seen, like, quite a great balance of, like, his sort of jovial mood, the sort of comic relief-y tendency he has, mixed with his dramatic strengths. Yeah. Like, those th sort of mesh together in this performance in a way they really don't, like, in uh, Life is Sweet, like that. That that's only making use of his sort of comic relief tendencies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's definitely uh, it's one of the most wholesome roles we've seen in a film. He, his whole thing is that he wants to make people happy. He's always trying to help out and make things right and do things for the people around him and the people he loves, and that comes across really well. Um, it's so much so that like towards the end of the movie when they all reveal because the the the. He says the line, secrets and lies, at the end, which which makes it great, because I love it when they say the title of the movie. But um, he reveals that his wife is not able to have a child, and that's had a, t uh, a tremendous impact on their relationship. Um, and then he's, he sort of says something like, um, all I try to do is make other people happy. And, you know, the three people I love most in the world can't stand each other, and I, I you know, I can't take it anymore. And... Not a lot of people would be able to say the line, all I want to do is make people happy and make it seem not only genuine, but true. Like, it's it's not only that he's trying to um 
that he's trying to say, look what a good guy I am. He genuinely does just try to make people happy. Yeah, yeah. And like that big final uh, revelation scene where he says the title of the movie out loud in a, in a storm of revelations. Like when I say it out loud, that sounds like exactly the kind of Oscar bait nonsense we would be mocking a film like, I don't know, The King's Speech for. But, you know, in this, it doesn't come off. It doesn't come off as, like, contrived or, or like, a bunch of archetypes bouncing off each other in a, in a very precious script. It, it feels human in a way a lot of these other movies don't. Absolutely. I do want to take a quick side note and say, of the movies we've seen, which would be strangest to have a character just say the name of the film? Hmm, that is an interesting... Uh, Sweeney Todd the Demon Barber of Fleet Street, See, maybe. I was gonna say Alice in Wonderland 2, <laughs> Through the Looking Glass. Uh, Alice Through the Looking Glass, yeah. <laughs> or, oh, no, no, no. Harry Potter and the <laughs> and the uh, Prisoner of Azkaban. Wow, look at the, He's like, oh, the gang's all here. Remus Lupin, Hermione Granger, uh, Ron Weasley, Harry Potter... And the Prisoner of Azkaban. But Remus Lupus was the Prisoner of Azkaban. No, he wasn't. Wait, Sirius was Black he? was. Right, yeah. Remus Lupin was right, the Prisoner of Right, Sirius XM Black. <laughs> Come on. Learn your Harry Potter trivia. I was going to uh, call you a muggle as a joke, but I I couldn't will myself to say that. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And uh, another really great performance I would like to uh, specifically mention, uh, well, obviously Marianne Jean-Baptiste and Brenda Blethlin, they are fantastic, they were nominated for Oscars, they they both perform really well, but uh, Leslie Manville, if uh, obviously most of the people who are listening to this have probably seen Phantom Thread by now, it was like the big Paul Thomas Anderson movie this year. I never saw but, it. But, uh, oh, She's in that. She plays a Cyril, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis's sister, and she is really good in it. She's very cutting and manipulative in that. Uh, and she's also really great in this, where she plays a social worker in one scene. Mm-hmm. That is a very good scene. There, yeah, yeah. There's this sort of weird dynamic to them where Leslie Manville is at the same time at the same time trying to help and at the same time really not getting the mood of the room <laughs> she she's that sort of weird she she she's sort of callous in the way that like a a civil servant can be when you've done the same thing a bunch of times and you kind of know what the person you're talking to is going to say next and you're just sort of pushing them towards it in a way that can seem really you know irritating to be on the other side of and uh since we've talked about performances, I'd like to go right to my little trivia game. Our pick your choice for this episode is a little game I call Secrets and Lies. Since this film was uh smothered in awards, it was nominated for like 50 awards, won 37 of them. Uh I've put together a little guessing game. I've got 10 questions. In each question, I'll give you a year. The winner of the Cannes Film Festival Palme d'Or and the winner of the Academy Award for Best Picture. Every false answer will have a secret bonus point possible if you can guess which category is the is the one that's incorrect. You can guess the lie, and you can guess the secret for a second bonus point. I, I will say, um, I looked through Timothy Spall's IMDb book, I take back, the weirdest movie for a character to say the name of the movie would be Quadrophenia, as that's yeah. kind of a meaning. I was hoping that by this point I would have something funnier to say, 
because I spent the whole time not talking and just looking through the page. Um, <laughs> but there wasn't anything because none of these would particularly be funny. Uh, maybe the journey would be a weird thing to say. I don't know. But um, since I spent all that time, um, I figured I might as well I, say it. Try to get some of that value actually, back from that. The love punch. That's true. That would be a weird... Especially in that movie. I wish they had said the love punch just so I knew what the hell that was supposed to mean. Yeah. I I think they may... When I saw it, I kind of thought, oh, they named the production company after this movie because it's the first one they're doing. But maybe, maybe they just had that production company and decided, we're not using this name for anything. Let's make a movie with Pierce Brosnan and name it that. I am going to say, looking through this, they do say the name of the movie in almost every movie we've covered on here. <laughs> Denial, Mr. Uh, Turner, sucker. Well, Mr. Turner, you kind of have yeah. to. Upside down. Especially in, like, upside down, you definitely have to. I don't know if they uh, said... Vacuuming completely nude in paradise. That's one. I want to see that. I don't know if they say that. the name of the movie in that one, but yeah, like, just from the title, that's one I really want to get to. I can't wait to watch his uncredited role as Jim in the 1979 TV movie SOS Titanic. That's going to be very <laughs> hard to find, but I think it's going to be fun. Yeah. All right. So are you ready for some trivia. One ready. Let's do this. Question one. Crack my neck and instead I hit my headphones into the microphone. <laughs> Question one. In 1955, Delbert Mann's film Marty won both the Academy Award for Best Picture and the Palme d'Or. True or false? I'm gonna say... Okay. Last... Il- um, <laughs> last Oscar season... I went through every year that the Oscars had happened to see who won, to see if I had seen, see, like, how many of the movies I'd seen. I don't remember that one, so I'm gonna say false. Okay. Question two. Was I right or wrong? In 19... Will you not tell me I'm gonna later? wait okay. till the end to give the, uh, right and wrongs. Okay. all right. 1965. Dr. Zhivago won the Palme d'Or, and Sound of Music won the, uh, the best picture. True or false? Let's say false. I want to say Dr. Zhivago won Best Picture. That's what I'm feeling in my heart. I also have no clue who won the Palm Day off or anything. All right. Question three. Hit me. In 1974, The Godfather Part Two won both awards. True or false? I'm going to say true. Question four. In 1979, Apocalypse Now won both awards. True. Question five. Okay. In 1989, Sex, Lies, and Videotape won the Palm, and Driving Miss Daisy won Best Picture. That sounds true. I'll say true to that. In 1994... Hang on, isn't Pulp Sex... Fiction won the Palm. Isn't Sex... Uh, could you repeat that? Isn't Sex, Lies, and Videotape a Chuck Klosterman book? Uh, no, that's Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs. You're thinking of the Kanye West lyric, uh... You can sing about sex, drugs, lies, videotape, but if I rap about God, my record won't get played. Is that the actual line? In Jesus Walks, yeah. I I knew the sex and drugs part. I didn't remember videotape. That's more common line than I had previously known. Yeah, it's uh, one of two movie references in that song, the other one being Y'all eat pieces uh, of shit, Gilmore. what's the basis? <laughs> Gotta say, we ain't going nowhere, we got suits and cases. The weirdest part of that line is, what's the basis? <laughs> Hang yeah, on, hang on. Yeah. You're saying that y'all eat pieces of shit? I'm gonna need you to back that up. <laughs> uh, source for that claim? <laughs> bracket citation needed, end bracket, <laughs> officer. Alright, 
Question 6. Pulp Fiction won the palm, and Forrest Gump won Best Picture. True or false? You say 96? 1994. Okay. So I was about to say I thought Forrest Gump was 94, but I will say that's true. Because Forrest Gump absolutely won Best Picture. There's no way it didn't. Question 7. In 1996, Secrets and Lies won both awards. False. True false. or false? It's not win Best Picture. I don't think so. Okay. Question 8. In 2000, Lars von Trier's Dancer in the Dark won the palm, and Ridley Scott's Gladiator won Best Picture. True. Question 9. In 2002, Roman Polanski's The Pianist won both awards. True or false? Oh, I was thinking about The Artist. I was like, didn't that come out way more recently? <laughs> um, I'll say true on that one. And question 10. In 2010, Uncle Boonmu, who can recall his past lives, won the palm, and The King's Speech won Best Picture. True or false? Um, I'm sure uh, King's Speech won Best Picture, um, and I have no reason to know why anything would win the palm, so I'm going to say true. This would probably be a fun game to play with the All Cinema crew, and not me, because (laughs) I do not know much about anything. Alright, so your answer to question one was that Marty did not win Best Picture. If you'd seen the film Quiz Show starring John Turturro, you would know that Marty won Best Picture because that is the question that John Turturro's character has to take a dive on. Oh my god! He knows that On the the Waterfront did not win Best Picture. I was gonna watch... I was thinking about watching Quiz Show recently because of the Chapo (laughs) interview with uh, Michael Kupperman. And I was like, damn, for some reason that I don't really understand it can explain when i was a small child i loved the movie quiz show about a guy who has to like for who has to choose to like what's the what's the phrase who has to blow a quiz show on purpose which is like i i was like five or six years old and i was like this movie's great don't understand why <laughs> uh you, you just really love uh mac the knife Wait, what else is that what else okay question three well no question two your answer was that uh, Sound of Music did not win Best Picture. I feel like that was wrong, uh, actually. The question was indeed false, oh. but Sound of Music did win Best Picture. Yeah. Uh, the actual winner of that year's Palme d'Or was Richard Lester's The Knack and How to Get It, which would in the future become the inspiration for The Knack, the band that recorded My Sharona, and their album Get The Knack. What the hell? That's weird. Yeah. Crazy the way life works. Uh, Let's move on. Question three. You answered True. That uh, Godfather Part 2 won both awards. The Conversation actually won that year's Palme d'Or. Same director, different movie. I'm gonna say, if uh, if I get any question right, um, then it's completely coincidental. And you could have literally made up a fake movie for the Palm, and I would have answered the same way. <laughs> question 4. You answered that Apocalypse Now won both awards. Uh, this was actually false. Kramer versus Kramer won Best Picture, uh, and there was a secret second bonus point because Apocalypse Now actually tied with Werner Schlonkoff's The Tin Drum for the Palme d'Or. Okay. Question five, you answered true. It is in fact true. Sex, Lies, and Videotape did win, and Driving Miss Daisy did win. Checks out. I, I can't believe that the movie with uh, Morgan Freeman solving racism by driving a racist lady around won, but funny the way life works. You know, it's great that it teaches, like, the lesson taught to us by driving Miss Daisy is that the best way to get white people to not be racist anymore is to serve them. <laughs> uh, question six. 
You answered true. That was true. Pulp Fiction did win that year's Palme d'Or, and Forrest Gump, of course, won Best Picture. And uh, for question seven, you answered false. Uh, Secrets and Lies did not win Best Picture. That's true. The English Patient won that year. None of this means anything to me. Question eight. Oh, God. Uh, that was true. <laughs> Dancer in the Dark and Gladiator did win. Uh, question nine. The Pianist did not win Best Picture. That was, in fact, Chicago. Is that the musical? Yes. It's a good movie. And in 2010, Uncle Boon May did win the Palm. And, of course, previous guest on the show, The King's Speech, did win Best Picture. Guest on the show, The King's... Thanks for coming into the studio, The King's Speech. <laughs> we just mic up a DVD copy, and it's just playing the entire time. Previous topic of the show. Makes more sense. Friend of the show, The okay. King's Speech. So, uh... <laughs> the King's free speech hashtag Turning Point USA. <laughs> so you got <clears throat> you got uh, seven out of a possible fifteen. Uh, I'll say again. last night. Last night I ran these questions by our parents, and uh, Mom scored ten, Dad scored eight. Of course, they would do better because they all they talk about is movies, and they have perfect recall of movies they've seen, like. The thing that our parents do most often is one of them will say to the other, Hey, uh, who was in, uh, what was the name of that movie with Al Pacino that we saw in 1996? And then the other one will be like, Oh, uh, they'll answer the question. Like, they'll just know. <laughs> Fair enough. This may have been, uh, not a great crowd to test this game on. Yeah, it's like, we ran these these elementary physics questions past Stephen Hawking and Albert Einstein to see if they would be good for this show. <laughs> uh. <laughs> we had uh. Rain Man play the Sudoku to see if it was of a reasonable skill level. <laughs> also, best picture winner. Not surprised. Oh, well, uh, since you've got to get to class, let's move on to our Spall ratings and then our recommendations, because those always take a surprising amount of time. That is true. That is true. Every time I'm like, well, we're wrapping it up. It's probably going to be about 10 more minutes. I'm there for another half hour. Right. So, uh, Eric, your Spall ratings. Okay. For the film as a whole, um, okay, the film is five Spalls. Without a doubt, this was this was very good. Um, Timothy Spall's performance is also five spalls. Um, a lot of the times we, a lot of the time we give Tim Spall a, a rating that's like for the role he was given, where it's like this wasn't really utilizing his talent well, but he did a good thing with it. This is one of the rare movies that knows what Timothy Spall can do, and you know, and and uses him to his full extent. So five spalls for both of those. <sighs> His fashion wasn't outrageously bad, but it wasn't good. It was it was very um divorced dad at a cookout. <laughs> Which considering he was neither divorced nor a dad. It's 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 very uh nudges you in line at the bank and says, uh, nice weather we're having, wish this coffee was better, haha <laughs> type of outfit. Um so gotta say two spalls for the fashion. Okay. Uh, I'm also gonna agree that this is a five-spall movie. Uh, one thing I would like to mention, uh, even though we're past the, uh, discussion part, is the score. Like, it's all horns and violins, which you don't actually hear that much of in, like, 
movies. Like, you don't hear exclusively horns and violins. Like, you'll usually hear, like, in sad scenes, a piano underscoring the action. And I don't know if this is just one of my really niche complaints, but pianos in film scores, not not great especially when compared to like the 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 sort of violins and horns and like sometimes a a violin will be accompanied by another violin doing like the pizzicato string plucking thing and that works so much better than just a sad piano would have done in that instance Mm -hmm. a piano is also a very it's an instrument that often grabs your attention um which is not exactly what you want for a soundtrack in a lot of in a lot of places, um, you're trying to have the music supplement it and not stand in for the uh, emotional moment. Yeah, yeah. This this strikes a good middle ground between a piano and like David Lynch in Twin Peaks season three, ominous bass just swell, J- just like the bass will just go. behind a scene and like that'll enhance the mood but this was a bit more conventional than that in a fitting way that's odd i'm gonna ask you politely not to make that sound on the podcast again because that's gonna be awful for people (laughs) listening to it on headphones (laughs) it's the david lynch experience It's, it's my acapella cover of my bloody valentine's loveless i was talking to a friend of the show connor battles uh, of Nocturnal Emissions and the All Cinema podcast, and we were talking about My Bloody Valentine, and I said I don't really get it when people say that it sounds like vacuum cleaners, and he says that's what I thought too until I was at work and somebody yeah. started vacuuming, and for a split second I legitimately <laughs> thought they had put on My Bloody Valentine. <laughs> oh. Oh, and I will have to agree with your five for Timothy Spall. Like, uh, some fives we give out on this podcast are a bit like getting three stars in, like, one of the first round Guitar Hero songs. Like, when it's very simple, you're using three buttons, and it's almost impossible not to get three stars because of how little you're being asked to do. But this, there was a high bar set with the material he was given, and he rose to meet it. He crushed it. it. And given, yeah, and given that this is, you know, a mostly improvised film, he, more than usual, was a part of creating that that character. And he was given the the responsibility and the duty of, like, breathing a a life into this person, and he he did so very well. I do want to say, as a side note, um, what if Mike Lee... Um, like Mike Will had like drops in the movie where Timothy Spall is like secrets and lies. You know we're all hurting. Why can't we tell each other? Mike Lee made it. Da da da. Real sad <laughs> shit. Yo, how about when we? Damn, Cynthia, where'd you find this daughter? <laughs> how about to play us out? Uh, put in like um the 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 Mike Will produced uh. It takes two, 
with Lil Yachty and Carly oh, Rae Jepsen. Yeah. yeah. To play us out? What do you mean to play us There's out? There's no words there. <laughs> What's Fuck that it, mean we'll do it to live. play us out? To end the show? <laughs> Fuck it, dang. It sucks. Uh, but anyway, and uh, yes, false fashion, we, we've said it. It's, it's the well-dressed guy at a Magic the Gathering tournament. It's... Every girl's crazy about a reasonably dressed man at a Magic the Gathering concert. <laughs> like, for its sheer blandness, I'm gonna give it a one. Like, if he'd been wearing a shirt with Goku on it, that would have at least been, like, memorable. But, like, I could see so, this outfit on the street. It would have been so bad if he was wearing a goddamn Goku shirt. The movie would have dropped two stars. It would have been so out of place. Just imagine him giving the whole... Imagine the scene with the woman with the car crash-like scar. And he's wearing a Goku t-shirt. Well, in that instance, he'd be wearing a suit with Goku on it because he's at work. Just like like a Goku, like embroidered into the lapel. I uh, no, just just a Goku pocket square. <laughs> <sighs> what well, love? Now this is a saying. I'm imagining him like going Super Saiyan in that final <laughs> sequence. Just his hair spiking up and going blonde when he yells secrets and lies. Who's super small? Who's the piccolo of this movie? I never watched Dragon. <laughs> the pickle Rick of this Shut movie. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Get the fuck out of my fucking podcasts are canceled. I'm burning all this equipment. Anyway. Anyway, that's our spall rating. Let's move on to our recommendations. Would you like to go first with your spooky midterm recommendations? Yes, uh, since it is the season of being spooked, I'm going to first of all recommend a uh, horror story. Um, over the summer, I picked up a book by Clive Barker called The Inhuman Condition. Um, I picked this up because I enjoyed the Hellbound Heart, and uh, the cover had a bunch of disembodied floating hands on it, which looked silly, so I got it. Um, it was okay. Clive Barker... Clive Barker, of course, the drummer for Blink-182. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah. What the hell am I saying? Clive Barker, uh, he, he made the book The Hellbound Heart, which got turned into the movie Hellraiser. Uh, he also, you know, wrote the Books of Blood series, which I found out this was part of. It's very, it's, it's hit or miss. There are some very good stories and some that just suck. Uh, one in it is called, um, Down Satan. Which reads like the Wikipedia summary of a mediocre horror story. Like it's it's oh, wow. it's like four pages long. There's no dialogue. <clears throat> it's just a description of a story. Which I enjoy. But the story immediately preceding that is called Revelation. And that is what I am recommending. Find this story if you can, give it a read. It's about uh, you know, twenty, thirty pages. It's not too long. Um it's very good. It's about this traveling preacher who's going through Texas spreading this, you know, this revelationary sort of fire and brimstone message. Um, he has a, uh, his wife takes sleeping pills in order to get her to actually go to sleep. He thinks this is sinful, so she has to hide it from him. The motel that they check into, uh, just so happens to be the same motel where a, uh, a woman murdered her cheating husband 50 years ago. Um, and so the ghosts of them have come back to this motel to try and 
recreate this and see if they can have it turn out a different way. Um, and so there's an interplay between these people and the ghost. It's it's very good. I would highly recommend. When you mentioned a uh, Wikipedia summary of a mediocre horror story, I was about to say, uh, are you sure you weren't reading H.P. Lovecraft? <laughs> okay, I'm going to disagree with you because nothing about H.P. Lovecraft's work seems like a summary of anything. Um, it's literally the opposite of a summary in that he goes way too far <laughs> into detail about how many goddamn pieces of rope they have on the boat that's gonna go over the summer i also started reading an hp lovecraft book before i lost it um lost it as in misplaced it not as in i'm through with this uh oh not lost it as in uh went mad uh looking at the phrygian horrors of the abyss as in uh got wild lost my mind took this thing into overtime yo dj turn it up qcd gun burn it up yeah there's also so that's the story i'd recommend if you happen to find that book give the whole thing a read um there's another story in it called the body politic about a man whose hands betray him and cut themselves off to lead a a revolution of hands (laughs) which is it's very good and i i think it's a lot sillier than clive barker thought it was but it's it's a very fun (laughs) read I, the first thing that came to mind there was uh, Evil Dead 2, so I'm expecting silly. Basically, uh, it's it's Evil Dead 2, but if his hand went on to convince other people's hands to betray their masters and cut themselves <laughs> off. And at the end, it even has this sort of, like, you know, teaser for what happens afterwards where this dude's amputated <laughs> legs like, to betray him. <laughs> it kicks uh, also, ass. Uh, you compared H.P. Lovecraft uh, to, you said it was way more detailed unnecessarily than a Wikipedia summary, so it's like the Wikipedia page for Knuckles, or which is longer than the Wikipedia page for uh, most Russian novels. <laughs> the body part or the echidna? The echidna. <laughs> and now I'm just, I'm just remembering this one uh, funny picture, it's like uh, Google Knuckles but you're you're looking for like human knuckles, so search for human knuckles, and it's just <laughs> knuckles as a human. <laughs> but yeah, and your second recommendation? Uh, I was gonna come up with one, and then I didn't. I don't know. I recommend this movie. Um, since I just quoted from it seconds ago, I'm also gonna recommend the Space Jam theme. Um, it is like eight minutes long. A, a good recommendation. Uh, so for my first uh, recommendation, I'm going to recommend the Canadian comedy series Slings Kisna. and Arrows, oh, which, no, uh, it does have Mark McKinney, though. Yo, check this but out, it is, Kids uh... in the Spall. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's about this Shakespeare festival in Canada, and uh, these... Uh, Two directors are helming, like, different productions. One is The Tempest in this very rundown, shabby, behind-on-its-rent theater. The other one is Midsummer Night's Dream in this very professional theater. Uh, the director of The Tempest gets arrested for writing a bad check, and the writer uh, and the uh, director of the Midsummer Night's Dream production gets drunk and gets run over by a, a ham truck. It like a li- literally a truck that says Canada's best hams, and so the director of the Tempest production, who was you know the star actor for the guy who was directing the Midsummer Night Stream production, and you know has fallen into ill repute because he went crazy uh, during a production of Hamlet. 
uh, he has to sort of step in for that festival's next production, which is Hamlet. Ham truck. And Ooh. so it's... Ham truck. <laughs> <laughs> and so this director uh, starts seeing the ghost of the old director and having to deal with, you know, seeing this ghost and having him sort of intervene in situations and distract him. It's it's very funny. And Mark McKinney is the sort of uh, normie uh, direct. He's the sort of business guy who doesn't like Shakespeare. He likes musicals. And him and this American woman are trying to uh, turn the festival into a big profitable series of musicals instead of a Shakespeare festival. And uh, it's very funny. Uh, this is Slings and Arrows, the Canadian uh, TV series. Okay, gotcha. Because I sort of space. I was able. To... So I sort of spaced out, and halfway through, I was like, "Is this what the movie Hamlet Two is about?" <laughs> Hamlet Two is also really good, but it's not Canadian. Um, one additional recommendation: uh, crossword puzzles. <laughs> Were you doing a crossword puzzle and that's why you spaced out? Um, no, actually. See, I'm, I'm in my office right now, and in my office there's a uh, stack of New York Times crossword puzzles that I left here. Um, <laughs> I actually finished these crosswords, so the puzzles, so like, I'm not doing the puzzle anymore, and I'm flipping around and doing the weird uh, Sudoku but with math on the back that's called Ten Ken. I don't know how that works. Well, I know how it works, but it's weird. Wow. Wow. And uh, I'm also going to recommend Jupiter Ascending, which is a film by the Wachowski sisters about Jupiter Jones, a uh, young uh, Russian immigrant who finds out uh, that she is the queen of the earth and she is part of an alien royal family uh, because Channing Tatum, who is a uh, half wolf man with uh, basically jet skates. They're like anti-gravity boots, but he like skates around with them. He saves her from aliens who are trying to kill her so that uh, Eddie Redmayne can become monarch of Earth. It's a very weird movie. Uh, there's a scene where she goes to uh, Sean Bean's house. Sean Bean is another uh, soldier that Channing Tatum's character used to fight alongside. And that house is covered in bees. Like, there are beehives just sort of hanging around inside the house. And the bees don't sting her because bees... They've got queens, right? So they, like, they're genetically programmed to recognize royalty and not, like, so she can control the bees. Real recognize real. And, like, yeah. And when you say it out loud, it sounds, like, really silly and dumb, and it, it is very silly, but it it's a very fun movie. Boys go to college to get more knowledge. Girls ascend to Jupiter <laughs> to become the queen of bees. Yeah. Yeah, and the only thing that's bad about it is Eddie Redmayne's performance because he spends the entire movie dramatically whispering like he's having trouble with laryngitis during the production of the movie and then he screams so loud his voice cracks and he just has those two extremes and nothing in between and it's not, it's a bad choice. That reminds me, I wanted, like, on November 1st, I was like, hmm, Halloween's over, I should watch a horror movie and it was early in the morning so I was like, Oh, let's just see what's on Netflix. And this one, the description popped out to me because it's about this lady who's a caretaker in like an old horror writer's house. And it's called I uh, I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in This House. Um, and so I watched it and it's not good. Uh, the main oh. thing that I didn't like about it is that the, the, the woman who's getting terrorized by all this stuff 
like it starts out with like a voiceover from her and she's doing like this like soft spoken horror movie voice and she's like 30 days ago I turned 28 I know that and she talks like that through the whole movie like she's on the phone with her friend talking about mumble stuff and she's talking like <laughs> that she finds a TV and she's like there you are they told me there's a scene where she's trying to get the shitty eric is the mic you're literally you're literally talking so softly that the skype connection can't handle it and i when you're talking in your normal voice it's fine but when you start going down and speaking softly it just starts crackling like the radio in silent hill and i i (laughs) I want to. It's just too soft for Skype. I'm going to try. That might be a problem with the mic here because Mike does something weird when I do the horror movie voice. I'll try putting the pop filter in front of us, see if that changes <laughs> anything because it's also very breathy. But there's a scene, and this one is the funniest to me. She's trying to get the TV to work, and she's doing the thing because it's set in the 70s. She's doing the thing from the game show Press Your Luck. <laughs> but in the horror movie, she's going, No whammies, no whammies, no whammies. Stop. No whammies, no whammies, no whammies. Stop. Like, it's it's so bad. It's like, please, stop oh. doing the horror movie voice for one second. There needs to be a contrast there of, like, the non-scary moment, and then the scary thing happens. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is... That is wild. Uh, oh, also, in Jupiter Ascending, uh, the, the big secret that's revealed to her about this world, this, this... Also, all the aliens are actually humans, so it's kind of like a, a, a sort of ancient aliens thing where uh, <laughs> the dinosaurs were actually killed so that humans could move into Earth. But yeah, it's revealed that Earth is actually like a harvesting facility so that like they can make these jars of blue paste that uh, make people young again. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's a really fun time. Uh, Channing Tatum gets wings at the end of the movie. So he's a he's a half wolf man with wings now. And and that's cool. Does he get to meet Abbott and Costello? Sadly, no. But he does fall in love with Mila Kunis, who uh, plays Jupiter. So, and also they like fly across Chicago. So, and it's nice to see uh, Chicago uh, get destroyed and have it not be standing in for some comic book city. <laughs> That's fair. It's also great to yeah. see Chicago being destroyed in a fictional setting where it's not being actually destroyed by Rahm Emanuel. <laughs> Boom! Got him! By the way, by the way, speaking of midterms, goodbye Bruce Rauner and the Bikers Against Child Abuse. You said who that is. Uh, He was the former governor of Illinois. It's worth noting, I fucking knew Joe Donnelly was gonna lose. Yeah, yeah, it it was a very easy-to-call result Mm -hmm. that the guy who only got in there because his opponent said some bizarre things about abortion uh, would get out as soon as someone who is not a frothing lunatic, but a just a normal racist Republican ran against him. Wait, Joe Donnelly got into office because of that? What was it? Yeah, it was like, it was the same year as the Todd Akin thing, and his opponent also said some wild fucked up shit about abortion. See, that seems like it would play well in Indiana, though. Unless the wild fucked up thing was, I support it. (laughs) Ugh. 
but it was it was like even more extreme than the usual like I don't know, rape is the Palestine of crimes that doesn't exist. Ooh, what the hell? Who said that? Please tell me you didn't just make that up. That's I, bad. I, I made that oh, up. God. I made that up. That That's an example of the type of thing that one of these politicians would say. Also, did you watch the uh, the Chapo election? I didn't. Stream? I was working. It was wild. I saw, the only thing I saw was the clip where extremely drunk Matt Chrisman says, you should kill yourself and everyone around you. Yeah, that that was that that was like the low point of his time that night, just getting increasingly drunker and sort of swerving around like a car salesman uh, uh, fan man. The 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 thing that like wobbles around the inflatable thing, just wobbling around like one of those and screaming about Hell World. It was it was great. Tim Heidecker called in as Mike Cernovich. Hey, tell me if this is a funny cold open. I might do it tonight. So I was texting some people about Sherrod Brown because he was up for election. And every time that I did, it would autocorrect on my phone to Sheriff Brown. (laughs) So I'm going to get some spaghetti Western music and it's going to (laughs) be Sheriff Brown. I looked up, I found a video of Sherrod Brown to see his voice. I was like, it is unbelievably raspy. Like I was so surprised. I was like, we don't really take kindly to union busting around here. It's like, hey, let's get these <laughs> voting machines and these ballots into the truck so we can get out of here. Now you stop right there. Sheriff Brown. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. That, that That is pretty funny. Uh, but it's the end of the show. So let's uh, mosey on out of here like Sheriff Brown. Uh, Eric, where can we find you online? You can online? find me upon the online at Eric is a joke. You can also tune into Funk House Berlin Thursday, 10 to midnight. You can find our old episodes. They're now scheduled and ready to be uploaded uh, at SoundCloud, at, uh, not SoundCloud, on Spotify, iTunes, or iHeartRadio if you look for Black Squirrel Radio Presents. Um, additionally, you know, just go to Blackstar Radio, go to our website, check some stuff out. It's a lot of fun. I don't even remember what I usually recommend on here, so yeah. Alright, and you can find me at F-U-C-K-I-N-M-A-F-U-C-K-I-N-A-L-P-A-M-A-R-E. And, uh, if you look in previous posts on this blog, you can find basically all my, uh, albums of electronic music, including my latest one, A Kind of Kinship from, from Afar. And, uh... Yeah, that's where you can find me at Twitter on AL eh, eh, on Twitter at F U C K I N A L P A M A R E F U C K I N L A. That doesn't work. <laughs> and with that, Spall's life. A bit, a bit, a bit. That's Spall, folks.